0: The title today, as you can see, is Being a Disciple. And, uh, and I'm going to tell you this right up front like I always tell you guys. Everything that comes out of me is what the Lord is telling me that I need. So if you feel a little convicted, that's okay because I was really convicted. There's some things that the Lord has really been dealing with me for about six months. Ah, I go back about a year and it's really come to light of how I need to change. And so these things that are shared today, is just a reflection of what needs to be done in my life, and I, and I hope that it blesses you. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and stand, if we could, and uh, turn to Luke 14, Luke 14, and we're going to read verses 25 to 35. Now, this is going to be difficult, because, again, we don't have the, the headset. We got the, the handheld, and I'm coming down with a cold. I'm coming down with a cold and I'm dry as a bone, so forgive me. So here we go. Luke 14, 25 to 35. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes, I lost my place, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions for peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has an ear, let him hear. And Father, we come before you right now and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your word that just cuts deep in our hearts, Lord. And I thank you for the the heart surgery that you've been doing in my life. And and I ask and pray that today, Lord, that uh, I would decrease, that you would increase, and that your words, by the power of your Holy Spirit, does the job that you intended it to do, Lord. And I pray, Father, that right now, we would begin to be laying aside the things that we know are in our lives, and that we would humbly submit ourselves at your feet as your disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. You know, before I get started, I got two prayer request, or uh, prayer reports, or praise reports. Number one, um, can, uh, brian brian's dad he was supposed to have a, a pacemaker put in within the next two weeks but because of god's grace and mercy he got it done just this last week and he's doing great went through the surge and everything and he's doing well praise god for that uh, the second one is uh pastor tim's uncle uh where he was uh, visiting um they he went in for multiple i think it's like quadruple bypass surgery this week they honestly didn't think he was going to survive the surgery that's how bad it was but praise god he is doing great everything's fine and he is recovering well so praise god for that i i just wanted to throw those out there so okay so back to uh, luke 14 25 35 being a disciple see right after jesus spoke the parable of the invitation to the great feast if if you guys remember that uh, he turns to the folks that were following him and, and he speaks these pretty strong words now, to me, when somebody tells me, unless you hate yourself, your wife, your kids, everything you've got, you're not worthy to be my disciple. Now, that's, that is harsh. I mean, it really is. But you know what? That's okay, because it's what he expects of his disciples. And sometimes I know personally, in, in my life, I've thought, well, you know, the expectations, you can kind of set the bar low, that way you don't feel like you're a failure too much. If I set the bar low, I can meet that. But see, he set the bar pretty high right here, didn't he? I mean, he, he put the bar so high, it's, there's no way for us physically, or in our flesh, to meet that bar. It can only be done through the power and the leading of his spirit. Amen? So he basically says, look, this is what I want you guys to do, and this is the, the characteristics that I want you guys to exhibit. And what I gleaned from this was he gave us a job description, and that job description has three major characteristics— The first one is you need to be forsaking. The second one is you need to be dying. And the third one is you need to be abiding. So those three characteristics right in here, the forsaking, the dying, and the abiding. Well, the first thing I want to do is I want to ask the question, what does it really mean to be a disciple? Well, you know, the Greek word for disciple means to be a learner, to be a pupil, to be a student. But what's the difference between that period of time disciple those that were in Jesus' time, and students today? Well, there's a big difference. You see, in the time of Jesus, young boys, and young know, girls too, but specifically the young boys, would enter the religious schools at about the age five. Well, I was about age five when I went to kindergarten, right? Okay, um, And they stayed in that, that system until they are about 13, which was the time of their bar mitzvah, where they were kind of recognized as young men, And they started the secondary school, what we would kind of consider high school today. And that was called uh, a Midrash school. Now, they entered the Midrash, and they stayed there learning and studying, understanding the Word, memorizing it. And I mean, they could memorize complete books of the Bible. I'm sorry, but right now I I still have a tough time remembering John 3.16 at times, okay? But these young men were so focused and so devoted to the Word that they could recite it to you, verse by verse, complete books. Then about the age of 18 to 20, kind of like graduating from secondary school, the Midrash, right? Uh, The outstanding students, you know, the honor kids within Bible school, uh, they would desire to further their religious education. And what they would do is, during that time of the secondary Midrash school, they would be looking at the great sages, the great leaders, the great rabbinical teachers, and they would kind of decide, I want to be like that guy, I want to be like that guy. It was kind of like getting drafted too, so to speak. If you're a ball player, it was like getting drafted into the big leagues or in the NFL. And what would happen is these sages, they would quiz these young men who are now out of the system. They would find out what they knew. They would ask them their interpretative skills. And they would decide if that person, that young man, had the potential to be like me. But now I want to go back to what it was um, as a student for us. When I was going to school, I studied just to pass the test. I'm, I'm sorry. You know, I wasn't too concerned with the future. I just wanted to get through this class, this test. I wanted to make sure that I got at least a C so I could make sure I stayed on the, on the wrestling team and the baseball team. I didn't care about my future so much. So I wasn't that devoted as a student. Now, I know some of you, you know, some of you are great students when you were kids. Some of you are in college right now as, you know, middle age or even older folks, and you're, you're giving 100% to what you're doing. But I didn't do that. And typically today, most kids in school, they do just the minimum to get by. Can you, can you kind of agree with that? Okay. So there's a big difference between students today and students back then. All right, so let's move on. Um, remember that, that sage rabbi that would go to that, that uh, honor student and begin to quiz them and test them? Well, that system was so, how can I put it, their relationship was so close. These young students knew that everything that they learned in, in secondary school, they were going to have to cast it aside and completely devote themselves to the teaching and the interpretive style of this sage this rabbi they were willing to cast everything aside and completely devote themselves at the feet of this rabbi and it kind of reminds us of how we're supposed to be devoted to jesus right we're supposed to cast all of our thinking and the, the things that we've learned and our perceptions and our likes and our dislikes our do's and don'ts we're supposed to cast them at the feet of jesus and say lord i completely devote myself to you I mean, the worship today, some of those songs, what else can I do but completely give my heart? I mean, think about that. Completely give over our heart. That's the whole, that's the whole mindset of these young students coming out of the secondary uh, Jewish training schools. So here's the cool part, guys. When these, uh, when these sage rabbis would find a person and they would test them, they may not have known everything that they should have known. But here's the cool part, that Rabbi Sage, they would look at that student and say, does that student have the potential to be like me? Well, isn't that exactly what Jesus did for us? When he looked at me, he didn't say, man, that dude, he's got it all together. Man, I've gotta have Mike on my team. No, typically it was, oh, Mike, (laughs) bless your heart. (laughs) But he saw the potential. And the potential is what he puts in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So if you've ever felt maybe you don't measure up, that's okay. That's a good place to be. Have you ever felt I'm not supposed to be teaching, I'm not supposed to be leading, I'm not supposed to be doing whatever because I'm not worthy, I don't know enough? Well, that's the perfect place to be because when God gifts you with what he needs to give you to accomplish that that goal, then guess who gets the glory? It's all about Jesus. So think of that mindset. These young guys, man, they're waiting for that rabbi to say, follow me. Because that's what they did. If they thought that they had the potential to be one of their disciples, they would look at them and say, follow me. Unfortunately, most of them didn't hear that. And what would happen is those guys would, the guys that weren't chosen to follow one of the rabbis You know, they went back to a a vocation. They became the carpenters, the fishermen, you know, the the masons, whatever it was. They went back into the everyday, workaday stuff. You know, the average Joe, like us, right? And there was always kind of that, if you think about it. They wanted to, to further their religious training, but the system, the system said, you're not good enough. Only the elite, only the best could come in. And I need, I need you to keep that in your mind because that, that's going to play a key point here at the end. So the people that didn't feel they were worthy enough went back into the workaday life. Okay? Okay, so that brings me to the very first characteristic of being a disciple, and that is forsaking. So let's let's look at Luke 14, verse 26. The first characteristic forsaking. He says in verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters, yes, his own life, he cannot be my disciple. You see, some people see this verse as a contradiction to the overall concept of we're supposed to love everybody like Jesus loves us. Well, that that is true. We're supposed to love, right? Unconditional love. We're not supposed to hate people. So how do I I reconcile this? Well, there is no contradiction. Here's why. you got to look at the context. When he was speaking these words, again, it was right after he spoke the parable of the invitation to the feast. And so I want to read that real quick. Now, it's a little bit long, but it's in Luke 14, 15 to 24. Luke 14, 15 to 24. Now, Jesus is speaking to these folks, right? It says, now, when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, to Jesus, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And he, Jesus, said to him, and this is the parable. A certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. For the first one said to him, I bought a piece of land and I must go see it. I ask you to have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to test them. I also ask that you, that you excuse me. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city. Bring in in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded. And still there's room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out in the highways, the hedges, And compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. And here's the kicker. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. You see, the invitation to come into that supper is the invitation to come to know Christ. That is the context of it. The follow me, just like the the rabbi would say to the potential disciple. Come and follow me. But there's many that don't want to follow You see, if a person is not willing to forsake all that he has, that's what the word that we just read just a minute ago said, their possessions, their family duties, their relationships, and place them as secondary to that of the relationship with the teacher, Christ, then that person is not worthy to be called a disciple. You see, he he gave that story of the feast because everybody's welcome. Everybody is invited to partake of the salvation that he provides through the blood that he shed on the cross. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of people that do it. I mean, the scripture tells us, right, that wide is the gate, right? Wide is the gate and the road that leads to destruction. But narrow is the gate and the road for those to enter the kingdom of heaven, right? So that tells us right there a lot of people are asked to follow, but very few do. So in Matthew 24, he goes on to say, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You see, that takes care of the contradiction. It's not about, look, I hate my wife, and so I'm going to leave you, and I'm just going to devote myself to God. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is, look, if somebody or something comes between you and your primary responsibility of loving God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, then you, you need to basically reevaluate that relationship. And it doesn't mean kick him to the curb. It means what can I do now to make that relationship better so it doesn't impede my relationship with God. <clears throat> Let's see. Uh, the first commandment. Does anybody remember the first commandment from Exodus? Thou shalt what? Not have any other gods before me. See, if you think about it, if we are loving a person or a thing, uh, a possession, an activity, a sport, you name it. You fill in the blank. If we're loving that thing or that person more than Christ, then that thing, that person, has become an idol. I have become an idolater to that thing. I just violated that first commandment. I can't love the Lord with all my heart all my soul, all my strength, right? If I have somebody or something between us. And that kind of goes back to the idea of if you're a disciple, you are to lay it all at the feet and follow your master. It also kind of reminds me of uh, Revelation 2, 1 through 5, uh, when Jesus was talking to uh, the church of the angel of Ephesus. He says, write these things. He who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, I know your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And that's, that's good stuff, right? That sounds like a good, strong Christian today. All these things, I know your works, your labor, your patience, you can't bear evil. And you've tested those who say they're apostles and are not, and you've found them liars. And you've preserved and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Man, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I got it all together, right? I'm a good guy. I'm ready for heaven. But then he says, nevertheless, I have this against you that you left your first love. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. You see, if that thing, if that being a good, solid worker for Christ becomes so important that you forget about following Christ, you forget being a disciple of Christ, then you've left your first love. See, that word left here means sending away in terms of a divorce between a husband and a wife. So if something or someone comes before you, that person has become your new love. And in essence, you have forsaken your relationship with Christ. See, the Ephesians, according to what we just read, had placed uh, replaced loving God with doing things for God. Have you ever done that? Have you ever let so many things that you're doing for God, got in the way of loving or listening to him? I mean, I'm, I'm guilty, man. If this was the Old Testament, somebody would be yelling, stone him, stone him, because that's exactly what I did. But it also kind of reminds me of the story in Luke 10, uh, 38 to 42. You know, Martha and Mary, you remember that story, right? Jesus comes into the home of Martha and Mary and and Martha, and I, I was a Martha for a long time. Always busy, always doing, always doing whatever needs to be done. But what happened, man? He, she goes to Jesus and says, hey, Lord, there's so much to do. You need to go tell my sister Mary to get off her duff and get over here and help me serve. There's a lot to do. And what, is, what does Jesus tell her at the very end? He says, Martha, Martha. You're worried and troubled about many things. Man, that was my life for so many years. I was so focused and worried and troubled about the things that I needed to do or not doing the things I shouldn't do. I lost sight of Christ. And he says, But the one thing that is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Now, I want you to remember, in that story, where was Mary? Does anybody remember where Mary was? At the feet of of Jesus kind of a picture of what a disciple was in that period of time at the feet of Jesus you see compromise and and letting things get between you and Christ I call it a compromise whether it's a person a thing a job I mean I'll be honest with you guys sometimes we allow jobs to get in place or take the place of our relationship with Christ we're so focused on I got to make sure I pay the bills and da 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 I got to have this job that takes me away for so long, or I'm am away from my family, or I'm not even able to go to church. Well, you know, I'm not going to say I'm not going to be legalistic and say, well, you should never do that because God has people and places for things at different times that glorify Him. Okay, and every day should be a day of worship, right? Not just Sunday. So don't 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 get me wrong here. But if that thing is not allowing you to maintain a relationship with Christ, then ask the Lord to provide something new. Ask the Lord to give you a job or a position that allows you to focus more on what he wants in your life. Uh, Finally, look at uh, verse 33 there in uh, 14. It says, So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. See, to be a disciple, we must forsake the things and the people that daily are trying to come between me and the Lord. We must constantly be evaluating our situations, and our relationships in terms of two things. Number one, are they drawing me closer to Christ? And number two, or are, are they pulling me away from Jesus? That's it right there. Every day you're gonna be going through some type of temptation or some type of trial. Whether it's at home or work in your neighborhood, it doesn't matter. Things are gonna come at you and you need to decide, is this thing good for me? Is it drawing me close to Jesus? Or is this thing pulling me away from Jesus? Those are the two things. You know, there was a, a professor by the name of William Barclay, and he said this um, It is possible to be a follower of Jesus without being a disciple. It's possible to be a follower without being a disciple. You become a camp follower instead of a soldier. I was a camp follower in church for many, many years until I became a disciple. Think about the, the multitudes that followed Jesus, that followed Jesus, right? They were there, they were listening, they sat around. But when the rubber hit the road, where were they? They were gone. Maybe 120, we're assuming 120 stayed, the rest of them beat feet. They were followers but they weren't disciples. They did not forsake everything for the the purpose and the the honor and the privilege of following the master. So that brings me to my second characteristic, which is dying. I want you to look at uh, our text in verse uh, 27, Luke 14, verse 27. It says, Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple I got a question have you ever heard somebody say um, well you know that's his or her cross to bear whatever trial they were going through well that's that's their cross to bear you know I've heard it in not here but I've heard it back where I came from some men in a men's group talking about their wife and you know what she's just my cross to bear no that is not your cross to bear. Those are the things of life that we go through all the time. The scripture tells us that we will have tribulation, right? I mean, that's the purpose of those tribulations also, according to Romans, is to perfect us, right? They make us stronger. They produce perseverance and character and hope in us. So we're going to go through those things in life. That is not your cross. You see, the bearing of your own personal cross, like Jesus said, has nothing to do with life's up and downs. It has everything to do with considering yourself dead to Christ. See, the the crowd knew when he said this what he was calling for. See, they saw the results of crucifixion. Um, There was a a Roman general back in 4 BC, and he put down a a revolt. And to teach the people a lesson, he took about 2,000 of those people they captured And he crucified them, and he put them along the roads coming in to uh, Galilee. So the folks here that heard this, they understood what it meant to pick up your cross. They understood that it was a horrible, painful death. Cross equaled death. See, they knew that taking a cross, or picking up your cross, you're guaranteeing a one-way trip to your death. So when Jesus says, hey, you know what, if you don't pick up your cross, if you don't bear your cross and follow me, you're not worthy to be my disciple. See, for me, and again, it's personal, right? For me, I'm like, man, Lord, there's, there's many years in my life that I never considered myself dead. It's like I compartmentalized my relationship with God. You know, this part went to church and this part, you know, read the Bible, this part tried to pray as much as I could which is typically at meal and before I open the word and that was about it okay or when I really needed something or I was going through something bad then I then I call upon him right but the rest of my life well that was my that was mine that was my authority if I wanted to go here I went here if I wanted to do that thing I did that thing because hey I mean we're all saved by grace right all I got to do is repent and everything's fine that was my mindset because I hadn't considered myself dead to Christ I was still alive in parts of my heart and parts of my own body. But Jesus is saying, look, you've got to lay it all down. You have got to consider yourself dead. So what are the things are supposed to die to? Well, look at Galatians 2:20. Galatians 2:20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me." Also, took, take a look at Romans six eleven. It says, "'Likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord.'" Man, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me that's that's considering yourself dead right that's what Jesus is calling us to do and there's three basic areas that that I feel that I needed to die to and those three areas are my self rights and personal authority in parentheses submission that's the first one the second one is my life itself and my personal goals And the third one is the desires of my flesh, meaning what am I partaking of and how am I treating others? Those are the three areas that the Lord has been calling me for about a year to die to. So let's go back to the first one. I'm to be dead to my self-rights and personal authority. In other words, I need to submit every ounce of my being to the authority and the lordship of Jesus Christ. you got to remember, folks, that everybody wants the Savior Jesus, right? Everybody wants to have a Savior Jesus, I'm saved from the penalty of death and the eternal hell. But it's, it's twofold. He needs to be Savior and Lord. If all you want is fire insurance, if all you did, and I'm be honest with you guys because, again, I mean, you know where I came. I've told you that before. You know, I was born and raised Southern Baptist. You know, I got saved seven or eight times as a young man, right, because the fire and brimstone preaching, you know, convicted me so many times. Uh, And maybe it's because there were so many parts of my life I never submitted. Maybe that's why I got saved so many times, right? Um, You need to have him as your Savior, but your Lord. You need to completely submit to him. So there in 1 Corinthians 6, remember the submission, right? You're not your own boss anymore. If you have submitted to Christ, you're not your own boss it says in verses 19 and 20, it says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And also in uh, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, it says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You see, I need to submit everything to the authority of Christ. Everything to the authority of Christ. I'm not my own. He purchased me out of sin and darkness by the precious blood that he shed for me on Calvary. I can't pay for it. You know, if if I had a credit card that had a a million-dollar limit, there's no way I could even purchase that and pay it on payments, right? No, it's a free gift. So I then need to submit everything to Christ because he gave everything for me, amen? The second thing is uh, I need to die to my own life and my personal goals. Now, I know a lot of you know that uh, uh, I'm a retired deputy sheriff. I got hurt, um, had to have surgery. They, they put me out to pasture. Um, and my mindset, um, my identity for years was still as that, okay? The brotherhood, the camaraderie, it's, it's, it's not like anything. If you've been in the service, you understand that, okay? Um, but my mindset was still wrapped up in, in that identity. And so after I retired, um, I was asking the Lord, because I was in that tough place now, right? Right? One of those tough places where now I'm going to pray, you know? Lord, what do you want me to do? And I'm, I'm telling you, it was clear. He told me, you're going to be a teacher, and you're going to teach the young kids that need a good role model. And, of course, my submission was, no, that's not going to happen. I don't want to teach those punks that have been taken to jail, to juvenile hall. No way. And so I went into a, a business class. I'm, I'm going to get a business degree, and I'm gonna open up my own business, my own, my own Italian deli because I had friends that I grew up with, their parents owned a deli, and I knew all the ins and outs, right? So I took my first business class, and I fell asleep halfway through it, and I realized, no, there's no way. This is so boring. I'm sorry. So I I go back, and I'm praying, Lord, what do you want me to do? And what was the words I heard? You're going to be a teacher. (laughs) Nope, that ain't going to happen. So I went back to my uh, biology professor. Now, remember, this had been about 12 years, the time span that had gone by, and I walked into his office, and he looked at me, he goes, hey, Mike, how you doing? I mean, he remembered me from 12 years ago, and it wasn't because I was a stellar student. I was doing just enough to get by, like I said, right? Um, And I said, hey, I want to get back into biology. I wanted to maybe do some pre-med, right, get into the medical profession maybe, because I always had a desire to maybe be a, um, a doctor for kids, right? Um, and he goes, well, let's, let's look at how many classes you took and the time frames and everything, and he goes, oh, sorry, man. You've been out of school too many years. If you've been out of school for seven years, you have to go back and start at square one. And I'm like, man, I, I can't do that. So I'm back praying again, right? Lord, what do you want me to do? Well, guess what I heard? You're supposed to be a teacher. So I'm like, well, well, okay, I'll let me look into it, Lord. So I opened up the catalog for the university that I was going to there in Bakersfield. And, and sure enough, of all the degrees, only one, there was no time frame. So the year and a half classes that I took previously as a young man still counted. And so I said, OK, Lord, I guess you're going to make me a teacher. So I went into the program, I got my degree, went into the credential program, became a teacher, and thought, you know, I'm gonna work for one of the great school districts because my master mentor teacher that I was training with came from the premier school district in the area, wrote me a, just a beautiful recommendation that we must hire this man. Never happened. I'm praying again, Lord, what's going on here? he says, I told you, you're gonna work with the kids that need it. So I called the Bakersfield City School District and asked to talk to the personnel director uh, who just happened to be my fifth grade school teacher at that time right? or back then uh, his name was Mr. Lingo and uh, he used to throw erasers and hit me in the back of the head when I was messing around because again I was, I was that really good student right he hired me on the phone because he knew he knew me and guess where I went right in the middle of the hood not that premier school district where all the kids lined up and said yes sir no, sir, and here's my homework. It's all completed. No, these kids came from the hood. I mean, you were lucky to get anybody to show up at a parent meeting. They hardly ever had their homework done, and you re- you rarely heard, yes, sir. It was simply other words with the sir, maybe, attached to it when you told them something. You understand what I'm saying? But that's where he put me, and it took submission. It took submission to what God had purposed in my life. And I'm going to tell you right now that those, those years down there with those kids was the greatest time I ever had. Because there were, there were lives that were changed. There were lives that were changed. But I had to do it by submitting him. So here's my question. Um, have you ever asked the Lord, Lord, what is it you want to do with my life? Because you paid for my life. You purchased my life. You bought my life. It's yours. What do you want me to do? You may have a goal or a vision, and, and right now I'm going to kind of speak to some of the young folks in here. You know, you're in, you're in high school, or maybe you're just out of high school, whatever, and you have all these goals and dreams, and those are great to have. But what does God want for you? You need to ask him, because if you're in Christ, you're bought with a price, right? So you need to ask him to send you or to lead you where he wants to be glorified, not where you feel you want to go. So that's just, that's just my, my two cents for that, okay? Um, and the third thing is I need to die to the desires of my flesh, what I'm partaking of, um, the way I act towards people. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians 6.12. 1 Corinthians 6.12. It says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. Again, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Now, the word power there, let me back up a second. So the word is telling us, look, because I'm in Christ, I have certain freedoms and rights, right? I'm no longer under the law. I've been saved by grace. My sins past, present, and future is covered by Christ, right? But he says, look, but you don't want to be brought under the authority or the power of anything that you're doing. And that word power there is is the Greek word exousiazo, and it's the same word in other scripture referring to the power and dominion of Satan. I don't think you ever want to be under the power or dominion of Satan. Can we all agree upon that? But sometimes things in our lives do have control or power over us. And so I'm just going to tell you straight out, is there a person in your life that has more control over you than Christ does? I mean, I think back to high school. My best friends, (laughs) you know, my best friends didn't always have the best intentions of what we did. And a lot of the things that we would do on the weekends, you know, uh, were pulling me away from Christ, weren't directing me to Christ. So is there somebody in your life that is like that? You need to reevaluate. Why are you with that person? Whether it's in a relationship, you know, a dating relationship, or maybe just a friendship. Because it should be, remember back up, talking about, does it draw me near Christ or push me away from Christ? You see, it means having authority and power to be a master over the body. That's what that word exousiazo means. So are there things that are controlling you? I don't know. I know there was things that were controlling me. And that's what the Lord was telling me for about a year, you need to give over. Now, in our men's group, uh, we talk about stuff all the time about you know, how we feel sometimes, because this kind of goes back to how I treat people, how I act. You know, I don't always act right. I mean, I get stupid. Just ask my wife, she'll tell you, I get stupid a lot of the times, right? I, I do things I shouldn't do. I'm not always led by the Spirit, and that's one of the things the Lord's been really focusing on me. You need to be really led by the Spirit, Stop allowing, you know, your own flesh or your own thinking process uh, kind of get in the way. You know, the, the Bible says, you know, and it's funny, I was talking with Ken this the other night, and it was just perfect for this. You know, you know, you don't want people to know you're an idiot, and I'm paraphrasing now, so don't open your mouth and say anything and take away all doubt, right? If, if you don't want people to know you're stupid, then just be quiet and listen, Right? And sometimes that's what I would do. I would say things or do things that let people know, you know what, you are not what I want to follow. You're not a person that I would hold up as, as a believer or a Christian. In other words, guys, um, if there's things that we're holding on to with our inner lives, things that make us upset, our attitudes towards people, you know, we all have those. You, you have arguments, you have you know, disagreements. If you're married, you have conversations. Okay? But don't let those things rise up in you, your attitudes, you know, your own personal goals or wants, you know, being right all the time, right? Um, Because this is what we always talk about in the men's group. Dead men don't have feelings. If you died to Christ, if you truly have submitted everything to Christ, then when that person, whoever that is, in 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 a home, in a family, in a workplace, says something to you and and you just want to reach out and tap them, well, that's your anger, right? That's the old man rising up. But if you truly died to Christ, then you shouldn't have those feelings. You should still love those individuals with the love that Christ has given you. So dead men, dead women, don't have feelings. You see, a disciple of Jesus will constantly be striving to die to self in those three areas of our life. I'll fail, I have failed, I will continue to fail, you have failed, you are failing, you will continue to fail, right? But by submitting these three areas to Christ, the self-rights, giving up our authority, my personal goals, what I want to do with my life and submitting it to him, and the things that I partake of. And I'm going to go back for a second. It's not just your attitudes and your relationships uh, what about the things that you put in your body or the things that you let come in your ears or your eyes? You have the freedom in Christ, but, again, you don't need to be brought under the authority of any of those things. You know, there's a, there's a group um, called Shaka that we used to listen to, uh, great um, young people-oriented kind of a rap group. Um, and there's a song that they did, um, and it basically said, look, the, the ears and the eyes are the gateway into our souls for our young people. And our young people, they're so caught up in social media that things are coming into those gateways all the time. And I guarantee you, they are being held captive by those things that are coming into those gateways. So we need to be really careful on on what we allow to come in, especially with our young kids. So again, we need to submit those three areas, our entire body, our entire mind, all of our flesh, to the power of the Holy Spirit. Because he will give you the strength, not what I'm doing, not my strength. The power of the Holy Spirit will give you the strength to fail less and less as you, as you continue to follow Christ as a disciple, right? Now, the, the last thing here is abiding. And this is, a, this is, this is the, the focus of it, okay? I want you to look back at the relationship between the sages and the disciples, right? The student wanted to be so close to the rabbi, so close that he would hear every word taught. Almost a, you know, they'll saying, I was so close to the stage, I got, I got spit on by the person that was speaking. That's how close they wanted to be. Um, remember the story of Martha and Mary? Again, where was she at? She was at the feet of Jesus. She was sitting on the ground at the feet of Jesus. Paul reminds us also in Acts 22.3, he says, Look, I was brought up in the city of Tarsus at the feet of Gamaliel. That was a typical stance. In a a teaching situation, you were at the feet of the master. You see, also the the students would want to walk as close to the rabbi as they could because a lot of the teaching was done while they were walking. So you wanted to be as close as you could, and subsequently you would get covered in the dust from the roads of the rabbi. And there was a saying that a student would want to be so close that he would be covered in the dust of his rabbi. And many thought that this was just an urban legend. There was no truth to it, okay? But I want to let you know that in, in the Mishnah, which is kind of the, the oral tradition of, of uh, Hebrew culture, um, it ranged from about uh, 200 B.C. to about 400 A.D., okay, the Mishnah, uh, there was a rabbi by the name of uh, Yosha ben Uazer. Say that fast three times. Joshua ben Wazer okay? Um, he wrote this in the Mishnah: Let your house be a meeting house of the wise, and that's the word for sage, and powder yourself in the dust of their feet, and drink their words with thirstiness. You see, if you are a disciple of Christ, you want to cover yourself in the dust of his feet. Now, the word here, powder yourself, now, ladies, you'll get this. I, not so much me, but you ladies, you get this. That word powder there is like a fine dust. It's kind of like the powder rings that you put on, you know, to get yourself, I shouldn't say that. Uh, The powder rings that you put on while you're getting ready to go out, right? Okay? So that's the same idea. You want to cover yourself in the dust of the rabbi's feet. You're so close to him that you're covered in it. Uh, To me, it's a great word picture. Great word pictures of abiding in Christ. Look at John 8, 31. John 8, 31 says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples. See, that's that last thing, the abiding. You see, the word abide here has a meaning of remaining in place or not departing. And in reference to the condition or state of an individual, not becoming like another. Remember, the young disciple wanted to be just like the rabbi. Everything that that rabbi did, he wanted to be just like him. So he stayed right at his feet. He didn't want to become like another person. He wanted to be like that rabbi. See, to abide in the sinful world today, we need to strive to walk as close as we can to Jesus. And it's imperative that we are in his presence at all times. I kind of liken it to walking down a dark alley in a neighborhood you don't know. A tough neighborhood, okay? But you got a friend that knows their way around. How are you going to hold on to that friend? Are you going to wander off on your own path? Or are you going to stick to your friend like glue? Well, if you're smart, you're going to stick with your friend. They know the ins and outs of that neighborhood. So we need to be just like Jesus. We need to stick to him. Uh, two, two quick verses on that, Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You see, it shows us the way. If you want to know what direction to take, if you want to know what decision to make, then you need to be in God's word. That's one of the ways we're abiding. We're in his word constantly because his word does light our path. It does illuminate the decisions that we need to make. That's where we get our wisdom from. Uh, In John 14, or 15, sorry, John 15, 4 and 5, it says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. And down further it says, he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. You see, bearing fruit is the result of being constantly connected or abiding in Jesus. See, the nutrients that flow through that vine to the fruit, right, that's what we need. The nutrients for us to grow spiritually and to produce the fruit that glorifies God flows through his word and through his spirit. So my question is, are you abiding? I'm going to tell you right now, I, there was many years I wasn't abiding. I was following Christ, but I wasn't abiding. I wasn't his disciple. Are you abiding as close as you can, or do you spend more time away from his feet? That's a question that man, It really hit, hit my heart. Maybe you say, well, you know what, I'm doing the best I can, but there's not a lot of fruit in my life. Well, maybe there's not a lot of fruit because there's not a lot of nutrients flowing through the word of God, through, pa- through prayer, through being led by the Holy Spirit. And if that's you, like it was me, then it's, it's time to reconnect to the vine, and it's time to abide in Christ. Now, finally, um, I want to review the follow me invitation to disciples. Remember those guys uh, that were the, the, the honor students and they were just waiting for one of those sages to say, follow me? Well, if you're like me, you're one of the guys that didn't get picked, right? It's like getting picked for playing sports when you're you know in school, right? Always the last one picked, never the first one. And sometimes wasn't even picked. It's like, okay, the teams are evened out. It's six and six. Sorry, you can, you can watch from the sidelines. You see, a lot of the guys that came out of the the Midrash schools, they weren't good enough to go on, right? They weren't good enough to go on. And that's what the disciples were of Jesus. Who were they? Did they come out of the rabbinical schools? Or were they fishermen and tax collectors and everyday people? You see, to me, that is what is so cool about this because the invitation from a rabbi was because they saw the potential again, and I'm going to revisit that, the potential in that person to become like the teacher. You see, again, when Jesus looks at you, he doesn't see the perfection that you will be someday. He sees what you can become through his love and power. Again, we're not perfect. We will never be perfect until we shed this body of flesh and bones, right? But the calling, come follow me, is given to you right now because he sees what you can be. Not what you are, but what you can be. Is it any wonder that when Jesus looked at the guys and said, follow me, they dropped everything? They used to trip me out. I mean, here they are working at a job, and Jesus says, follow me. And they just left it. They left their nets, they left their jobs, And they went right along following Jesus. And here's why. They felt they weren't worthy to follow a rabbi. They didn't know enough. They weren't good enough. They weren't smart enough. They weren't one of the honor students. But this rabbi Jesus, who they knew, they knew what he was doing, right? They knew the miracles. They saw what his life was like. And he wanted me to follow him. And they just left it all. They forsook everything. They laid it all down. Could you imagine being a fisherman, knowing that your life was going to be this drudgery every day of your life? And then some man comes by who you know is an anointed rabbi, and he says, follow me. Man, their hearts must have been bursting when he would do that. Somebody finally saw a potential in them. And I'm going to tell you guys, he sees the potential in every one of us. It doesn't matter what you've been doing. It doesn't matter where you are right now. God never calls you to come to him after you clean yourself up, right? That's his job. He just wants us to admit, I am a sinner. Or, Lord, there's things that I need to submit. That's all he wants is a willing heart. You see, he's been calling me. uh, Let me go back here on uh, John 17, 27. Last verse, John 17, 27. It says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. He's been calling me to be a more faithful disciple for about a year. I know I need to forsake things more that come between me and Christ. I know I need to die to myself more, my goals, my wants, my desires. And I know I need to be abiding in his word more and be in in, in prayer more and being led by the spirit more because I want to become just like my rabbi Jesus. So my question is, today as the worship team comes up. Do you, do you hear his voice calling you? Have you been hearing Jesus calling you, follow me? Maybe you, uh, maybe you, never, maybe you never made a commitment to, to the Lord. Maybe you thought, like I did, that the things that I was doing you know, all my years growing up in church was good enough. Maybe you've never made that commitment to cast everything down to fall at the feet of Jesus. And if that's you, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that today. And maybe you, maybe you are a believer. Maybe you've been running hard with the Lord, but you realize, you know what, there's some things in my life that I do got to die to. And I want to lay those things down today. And if that's you, I want to give you an opportunity also. So let's go ahead and pray with every, with every head bowed and every eye closed. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that your word reminds us that we aren't good enough. But because you see the potential in us and that you love us just the way we are, you provided a way that we could come into your presence and that you would forgive us of all of our sins. And Lord, right now, if there's there's anybody in here that you, you feel the Lord calling you to follow, and you realize that it's all been about you, that you haven't submitted the things that you should have, and that you've never made a commitment to the Lord, maybe this is your first time. If you feel the Spirit calling you, and you feel the tug at your heart, and you're saying, I want to submit my life to Jesus, I want to be at his feet, I want to be taught by him, I want to become just like him, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Praise God, praise you. I see your hand over here, too. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? This is the first time that you really realize that you need a Savior. Now, for those of you that are born-again saints, and you realize, you know what, I've made some mistakes, and there's things that I've been doing on my own, and I need to get back to the feet of Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about my wants and my desires, and I truly want to be like him. I'm a believer, but I want to be a better disciple. I want to be a completely sold out for Christ. If that's you and you want to rededicate yourself to the Lord, just lift your hand up right now. Praise you. <laughs> praise you. Praise you. Praise you. Thank you, Jesus. I see your hand. I see your hand. There, in the, in the back. Over here. Praise you back there. Anybody else? Jesus is calling you today. He's calling you right now to no longer be about yourself, but to follow him. And it means to be a disciple. There's nothing that should ever come between you and your Savior who paid the price for you. And I thank you for the hands that went up. I thank you for the dedications. And, Lord, I ask now that every one of those people that you would empower them with the power of your Holy Spirit, fall upon them right now, Lord, and give them whatever they need to be strong disciples of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for what you've done. And we give you all the honor and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.